Are you an athlete who would like to maximize your performance to succeed at the top level? Head on over to my website at jacobandre.com and book a free 15-minute discovery call to discover if and how I can help you. G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. Today, I'm talking to Rick Nolan. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to getting into this conversation to learn a little bit more about you and really discover your coaching philosophies, obviously being a very highly successful coach. But before we get into all of that, what did we interrupt in your fine Friday afternoon today? Uh, I've just just bought an electric car, actually, so just been giving that a, a charge um, and get a bit of a, a little bit of a whiff of a girl that might be coming to Darwin, very good player, so just trying to uh, organise jobs and somewhere to stay and uh, work, work on the phones, basically, if we can try and get this girl over the line. Oh, really? So is this like a little bit of, can we mention her name or is that all still secret? Uh, no, I might keep, I'll keep that to myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, she, but being on an AFLW list, so they don't come along very often. And uh, last week I just made a few calls to some contacts and one of them, uh, that, that one of the contacts that coached AFLW actually and come back to me with a name, just threw a text out there and it looks like it might come off. So yeah, just looking at the moment at getting jobs and accommodation has been a little bit of my work today. True. Let's uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to dive deeper on this electric car. Is there? I don't even know. Is there other electric cars out there apart from Tesla, or does that mean it's a Tesla? Uh, it is a Tesla. Yeah, it is. Um, there is other electric cars out there. Not a lot. I think Tesla's just um, a bit of an Elon Musk fanboy. I think so. Um, it probably the best financial decision I've ever made to tell the truth. Like I haven't paid for any electricity. Um, probably give this away a little bit too much. I don't want too many people to know about this. I go down the waterfront, plug it in, there's charging down there, go for a big walk along the Esplanade, come back, go for a swim and uh, do that once a week and your car's fully charged. So, you know, it doesn't need maintenance. Uh, I'm a tech head, love technology. Um, so uh, it's not a car, it's a computer. It is just not, a, there's no spark plugs, there's no oil. It doesn't need a, doesn't need a service. It doesn't need petrol. Uh, one of the best uh, investments and buys I've ever had. I actually enjoy driving. I've never been into cars, and I don't. I don't call it a car. I call it a computer. So now I really enjoyed it, and, and glad glad that I bought it. Does it come with a at home charging kit? Because a mate of mine who is also into technology has a has a Tesla as well, and he said that he doesn't really drive his car on the weekends if he doesn't take it to work in the city with him on the Friday because. He takes it on the Friday, charges it up at work while he at the waterfront or wherever while he's at work, and then it's charged for the weekend. What's the deal with the at-home charging? Yeah, it, 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 you can just charge it off a ten amp, plug, yeah, off a ten amp plug. So it just takes about twenty-four hours. It's like your mobile phone; you can come in each night and just plug it in. The only thing is, I live in a unit, and uh, we've got yeah, we don't have the setup. I can't set my own uh, charger up. If I could, I think they're only about five hundred dollars. So I just set it up and. It costs about eight dollars to charge it at home, so that's what. If I could, I would do it that way. But I, yeah, as I said, I just go down there in the city once a week, go for a long walk, put the earphone, the earpods in, and um, and give it a charge once a week. That's awesome. I've just got something in my throat and started coughing, trying not to cough. I've never had that before. Um, so, how long ago did you get the color? You talk so that I can actually. Let's go. You tell me your story. Uh, How'd you end up where uh, you are? Uh, let's go right just... back the Rick Nolan story. Rick Nolan story or the car? Which which one do you want to know first, the car or the, the, story? the Rick Nolan story? So how did you end up where you are today? Tell me about your childhood. Uh, childhood. So I grew up in. Uh, so I was born in Melbourne, but moved to Brisbane uh, at the age of seven. 
uh, did all my schooling in Brisbane, uh, in Aspley in Brisbane. So it wasn't surrounded by a re- uh, in a football state, but um, but just just love football. Uh, the day after, when I was in grade twelve, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was that good at school. Had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and my uncle Graham Smith, who at the time was the vice president of the St Mary's Footy Club, he said, "Look, when you finish school, why don't because they play on the off season? Why don't you come up and have a, a kick for St Mary's in the under 18s I was only seventeen at that time. Um, and I said, "Yep, yeah, why? Why not?" So I finished school. Most people went on schoolies. I didn't go to schoolies. On the uh, in the uh, on the plane the next day and uh, come up to Darwin and I played a, a, a full season of under 18s. It was pretty St Mary's were an absolute powerhouse then. I was a late developer in football. I wasn't that good as you know as a as a young kid or coming through. And uh, yeah, played a year year at St Mary's Footy Club. Yeah, awesome. Um, so you so you grew up in Queensland. Your father played AFL for North Melbourne. Tell me about growing up with a dad like Mick Nolan. Yeah, look, I, I always say with my coaching, I was born into a position of privilege. So I've been at a footy club, I reckon, and I honestly believe I've been at a footy club every day of my life since I was seven. So that football was just, I had two. So the three of us, three brothers, we just talk. I feel sorry for our mum because I just sat there. We, all we did is just talk footy nonstop the whole time. My father, left. he went from Melbourne. Uh, a guy called Alan Aylett, who was the president, pretty famous person in the 1970s, uh, begged him to go to Queensland because they knew that one day they would have an AFL side, which is now the Brisbane Lions. They wanted to grow the profile of football uh, up in Brisbane. So they sent uh, sent me old man up there. He coached a club called Main Footy Club, played all my juniors there. Pretty famous club in Brisbane. Um, I think they've won the most premiership. Southport might have just beaten them now, but very famous footy club. Uh, he had a lot of success there, but I think it helped my coaching because I was just able to watch him coaching the whole time uh, as a kid, as a kid growing up. So yeah, just love love football. Um, yeah, as I said, my uncle asked me to come up, and then I just kept coming back and forth between Brisbane and then playing football. So I'd play a, fo- a season in Darwin, go back and play a season for Maine in the Q- in the Queensland Footy League season, and then I just keep coming back and back and forth. Eventually. Uh, when I was at St Mary's, all the St Mary's greats—the the Mick Athanasius, the Ted Liddies, the Bruno Longs—like the the absolute royalty of St Mary's Footy Club—they are all in the uh, airport fire service. I thought I thought something was going on here. Boy, there are all these blokes in the uh, in the airport fire service. And um, yeah, so I did a bit of in- inquiring, and it was actually my uncle was the boss. I didn't know that, but my uncle was the boss, who the one that got me to come to St Mary's. So. Sort of uh, thought, oh, that might be a go, and I applied for the fire service and got in. And uh, I was only ever because I can we can transfer to anywhere in Australia. It's a Commonwealth fire service. I always thought I'd just do, you know, as soon as I could, I'd get back to mum and dad back in Brisbane. But yeah, end up end up playing senior footy at St Mary's pretty regularly, um, and fell in love with the territory, and will be here, uh, be here to married a Territorian. She's a Cyclone Tracy survivor, so she thinks that's pretty good that she was a Cyclone Tracy survivor. So we'll be here for the rest of our lives. We love Darwin. Yeah, so you mentioned the St. Mary's Football Club and some of those legends. We had Anthony Vallejo on previously, um, who's the current head coach of St. Mary's, and he talked about when he first started playing A-grade, and I think he was about 16 or something, and he said that he, I think he debuted with Brenton Toy. They were, they were friends. And he said the first game I think they played in was a loss and it was their first loss in about two seasons. And he said they all got caught into this barbecue and uh, him and Brenton were driving there and they, he remembers looking at each other and going, geez, like 
you know, like this sounds like a pretty serious meeting to come around this barbecue, this guy, one of the players' houses, you know, like we just lost a game, gee whiz. And he said some of those older, you know, real experienced and gun players like Michael Athanasia, you know, they got, as soon as they got there, they got into a circle and they looked every single player in the eye and told them everything that they'd done wrong and how bad they were. And he said, you know, they were too scared to ever lose a game. That was their first taste of playing A-grade footy at St. Mary's. What was it like for you when you started? How old were you when you first played A-grade and what was it like coming into that? Yeah, I played in that. I played. Would have, I can remember that meeting, actually. <laughs> I've never <laughs> thought about it for probably 30 years. But I remember that year and... Um, yeah, but I had a little bit of a – I played with those two boys and played in a premiership with them as well. Um, but I had a little bit of a different journey. Maybe being a ruckman, I just – I developed late. So I probably played uh, 60 B-grade games at St. Mary's before I um, you know, become a, a, a regular player. I probably wasn't given a, a real good go at it either. I played pretty well in a couple of final series of the B-grade as well. So it took me a while to break in, which probably kids today would probably give, you know, give up to a degree. So just kept uh, persevering and then breaking in with those guys. But my story probably a little bit similar to uh, Anthony of the the culture of the St. Mary's Footy Club. I'll never forget, we lost a grand final. I think Ted Liddy was coaching. And we were probably really probably the sixth best. I look back at it now and I reckon we were the sixth best team in the competition. I think we finished fourth or fifth. Just come from absolutely nowhere to make a grand final, went into grand final day. We had a heap of injuries. We're just looking back at it. The game was, it was Waratah's first uh, premiership. They'd won for a long time. Um, The game was over. We got flogged. The game was over at quarter time. But that season, I'd had a a pretty good year. And I think I'd come about third in the Nichols medal, pretty high up in St. Mary. I think Tommy Weecher won the Nichols medal. I think I'd come second in the best and fairest to him and third in the Nichols medal. And I'd actually played pretty well in this losing grand final side. So I thought I sort of thought I'd had a pretty good year. Uh, I think it was about third in Nichols medal, second in the BNF. Played pretty well grand final day. I was pretty happy with the way I played, but we lost. And I can remember walking up to Vic Ludwig, and uh, and I you know, I thought I had the runs on the board to to you know to have a word uh, to Uncle Vic, who's been the president for forty seven years or something. And I walked up to him and I said, "Oh, um, sorry about today, Vic." And uh, I remember he looked me back in the eye and he said, so you bloody should be. And uh, <laughs> sort of, I think it, it pitified the, the the culture of the club that I thought I had these runs on the board for the season that I had, but um, it was the only thing that they, they were accepting was uh, was success. So uh, it's sort of, you, were, you just had to win. It's a footy club where, and to a degree, it can be hard at times. Um, you know, like you can, you can, sometimes in footy, you can, you're going to have some good losses. You can, you can, you might not have the cattle on the park, and you can lose a game of footy, but you can just lose it slightly. Really, the opposition might be a ten goal better side, but you may lose by a goal. Unfortunately, at St Mary's Footy Club, that's just not accepted, um, and it's probably that way. It's got as a good a culture from that point of view of any footy club that um, that I've ever seen. Jackson Clark actually put a post up on Facebook just last week about Wayne Warden, uh, whose birthday I think is today. Um, and he was, there was all these charges and he was the victim of these uh, fourth quarter in a grand final. Do you remember, was that that game? Was he, if you were talking about the Saints lost? Uh, where... Yeah, that uh, that was the game. That was, a, I, I remember that era pretty well. So I reckon it was Waratahs versus Southern Districts. Yeah, and yeah, they went after Wayne. I know Wayne very well. Actually coached me at Pints as well. 
And uh, yeah, they went after him. <laughs> they went after him pretty well. But in his uh, something with Wayne, he got up straight away. So, but same era. I I think we didn't make the grand final that year. It was a Southern? No, it was Palmerston. Sorry, Palmerston versus Waratahs. So we played the grand uh, Waratahs one two in a row. We played the year before, lost the Waratahs, and then Waratahs went back to back and beat Palmerston, and it was that game. Who was the hardest player that you ever played against in the NTFL? Um, Waratahs had a ruckman called Matt Wakeland. I think he played SANFL. He was, um, I reckon he was real good, especially come finals time. Uh, you know, he took a while to get fit. Uh, I reckon he was probably the, um, the best ruckman I played against in NTFL. I played on Damien Burke one day, who was the ex-Geelong captain, and he played in the 89 AFL grand final. Um, and I just, I was 19 years of age, and he, that's it was the biggest lesson I've ever had in life. He just, so he was 31. He just finished at Geelong. Then he got drafted to the Brisbane Lions. Back in those days, the Brisbane Lions seconds players got filtered out to the QAFL. So they'd play at Main, Morningside, Mount Gravatt, um, Windsor Zoomy, all these other, you know, Southport, all these other clubs. So every week you were playing with four or five AFL listed players or against them. This day we were playing Mount Gravatt and I played on Damien Burke and he was 32, 33. And I remember asking me old man one day, oh, who do you reckon the best ruckman in the AFL is? And he said, oh, Damien, this is about four years earlier. He said, Damien Burke's the best ruckman in the AFL by country miles. So here I am. I was 18 years of age playing for Maine up against his Damien Burke. And he he just punched the living daylights out of me. Like the ball would go up and he'd look with one hand, he'd go that way. And that'd just go straight across my jaw. I thought I broke my jaw about four times. And with the other hand, he'd smash it 30 metres. And just, I absolutely have never been annihilated. Nowhere near it in my life. And I nearly had tears. I was 18 years of age, I think it was. And he he just bashed me, absolutely. And I've read uh, um, Andrew Butte, the ex-Geelong captain. He's spoken about it, how this bloke was just ruthless with his left arm. He'd hit the opposite ruckman in the, in the nose. And with the other one, He'd smash the ball, and the, the umpire just kept looking at the ball go thirty meters forward. He's not wasn't looking at his other arm that just kept colliding into my head. So I reckon that was a rip. And then after the game, he come up to me, and I sort of thought, mate, this is an AFL captain, you know, playing in the Queensland Footy League. You know, there's a couple of hundred people there, and yeah, you know, he still wanted to destroy me, sort of thing. So I reckon it was a good lesson. There. And he come up to me afterwards, and he said, yeah, you know, well done, young fella. You had some resilience. Make sure you, you grow out of this. And mate, I nearly, I had, to, I had just been absolutely annoyed. No one's ever gone close to annihilating me like that. He just, <laughs> he just killed me. And I'll never forget that day. Um, and probably, yeah, it helped with a lot of resilience. And I learned a lot about ruck work that day and not to take it easy against kids as you get older. And, you know, to, to use your body and to use whatever you can to, you know, to win a game of football is a really good lesson. You hear Ruckman talk a lot about ruck work. Explain to me what they mean when they talk about that what are the some of the the biggest skills that a ruckman can develop i think just uh, putting your body you can as you get older you can like when i was in from say 28 through to i played pretty late uh, i even went to the sunday comp um i could win a ruck without jumping virtually without jumping just by using my and i can remember that the old man always used to say to me as you get older you learn how to use your body and that that certainly happens and i see it um, I see it with I've seen it with Ryan Smith still now. Like I could, so you, you use your body in the right position, but it takes a long time to be able to get get there. And I think what people don't realise with ruckman, you're lining up opposite each other and you're smashing into each other. And sometimes you're doing it thirty times a game, uh, and it's that's not easy on your body. You get a lot of corkies, 
and it's pretty hard. People always go, oh, dumb ruckman. They're useless. They get to run around the field by themselves. But you are lining up opposite someone and you are smashing into them all day. And I think getting your timing right, just jumping a little bit early and these sort of things, as you get older, um, you certainly become better. And when they say ruckman get older as they grow, it's because they, they know when to jump early, where to put their body. Or a Matt Dennis, like at the moment, he's able to keep dominating as he is because he's just he's learned to put his body where the other ruckmen are too young and haven't learned how to do it yet. So as you get older, you become better at it. I'm glad you bring up Ryan Smith because he's actually the next episode of this. Uh, but I get the feeling that ruckmen feel like they're a little bit hard done by. So if they are hard done by, what is the aspect of ruckman that is the most under recognized? Uh, probably with me, I wasn't very good at uh, center bounces. Like that, that's because I couldn't jump. Uh, but probably stoppages around the ground or boundary line throw-ins was I was able to use my body and but I think hit outs to advantage if if you had a ruckman hitting a ball down someone's throat and then that person streaming away from a stoppage uh and getting a deep entry into the forward line I think it's worth it's it's worth its weight in gold and it can change a game a cup you you get three or four real good uh real good clearances like that where they're they're streaming out of a out of a stoppage situation that's where I just I think a ruckman really uh, is worth his weight in gold in that situation. Now, I think the presence, you know, if if, a, if you look up and the ruckman's there and you've got to go the other way, the presence of a ruckman, even though the ball doesn't get kicked to him, you are deviating the way that the ball's going. So pr- presence, uh, I think, and also if you can get hit, hit outs to advantage, I think a good ruckman with hit outs to advantage is worth the weight in gold. So how, your dad was also a very tall guy. What did you learn about ruck work from him and what was it like growing up as a kid with your dad? Yeah, I don't know. People always say, um, yeah, what's it like growing up with a famous father and that sort of stuff? It never worried. Look, to me, I just wanted to play at the highest level um, that I can. I think it helped because I was at football clubs all the time. Did he sit there that much and go, oh, you should have done this and you should have done that as a father? Of course, he gave tips, but not. I don't think he was anywhere near excessive. He coached me a lot of my junior football um, going through or he's always running water or that sort of thing. He's always very heavily involved um, that way. Um, but I think where I learned the most is just being able to watch him. So, like, he kept, again, he played to about he was 37 years of age. Uh, so I probably, from the age of you know, 7 to 12, that's when I was watching him play at the main football club, you know, the club we were involved in. I think that, that helped watching him do that way. Yeah, and I, I used to watch a lot of these old, you know, I think he played four, four AFL grand finals. So watch, I watched a lot of those grand finals, the way he positioned his body. But um, as in, you know, the pressure of, of being Mick Nolan's son, I never I never felt it or it didn't, uh, I didn't let it worry me. And I think if, that's when people, if, if you worry, I just tried to make a name for myself. I never, I, very rarely do I come out and say I'm Mick Nolan's son. I don't very rarely have I ever said it. Um, I just tried to make a name for myself and uh, I don't think, yeah, as I said, yeah, it hasn't bothered me one little bit. So he was a part of the first ever North Melbourne Premiership, correct? Yep. What, what did he ever say? Did he talk much about that? Yeah, probably one of those things now he's passed away. You wish that you had have asked a little bit more questions about what the celebrations were like and all that. But um, like a lot of, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube, like the North Stories, one of them and, and all that, how they were just rock star. Like they just couldn't move because it was their first ever Premiership. They were the first ever rock star footy, you know, the first ever rock rock star team with you know Malcolm Blight, Barry Cable, Keith Gregg, Sam Kekovich, you know all these. Um, yeah, you know, they went and 
that 10-year rule, they talk about free agency, that 10-year rule, they were able to go and get any player from another club that had played for 10 years. It only lasted for one month because North Melbourne went and bought uh, three of the best, three captains. They bought three captains from another from another club. So they had all these um, high, you know, these high-octane players are the first. And I hear Malcolm Blight in interviews say they are the first ever rock star you know, footy club. And I think... With me, old man, he was not the star. He was just the you know the, the bloke that would have a smoke and a beer and speak to the supporters. And I reckon you had all these massive, not egos, what's the word, these uh, big, big, uh, oh, big branded characters, players. And I hear Malcolm Blight talk about how Brassy, uh, Brassy uh, controlled them all. But I reckon with me, old man, his job was just to, one, he was, his hit-outs to advantage were, you know, as good as anyone to ever play the game. But I think he kept people down a level peg. You know, it was pretty hard to have an ego when he'd walk in and have a smoke or have a beer with uh, with uh, you know, the other supporters or the little man. And I think that's why the little man liked him, because he'd have a beer with him and you know, he had a little bit of a gut. And, um, you know, I think he uh, the person over the fence could see a little bit of them in him. So I think uh, and I hear a lot of his old teammates say to me today, he said just, uh, you know, he'd always crack a joke and that sort of thing. So he had all these egos, the, the, this big side with all these gun, you know, these gun players. And I think he helped bring them all together and, and that. So that was good. You got the North Melbourne hat on. What does North Melbourne Kangaroos Football Club mean to you? Well, a lot. So, yeah, all my cousins and that are into it. Um, actually, my my nephew is Darcy Wilson, so they reckon he's going to go about 15 or 16 in the draft this year. So it's my cousin's son. So we're hoping, we're looking at the draft, and North Melbourne have got all these draft picks this year. So we're hoping that he goes to, we've got a WhatsApp group, and we're all hoping that he goes to the game. When we're in Melbourne, we all go to the game. So I watch, whether wherever I am overseas, I watch the North Melbourne Football Club. So yeah, really, really into the North Melbourne Football Club. Just, uh, I love them. Been some tough years, so hopefully things are about to turn around now. Yeah, yeah. So let's bring it back to a local flavour, back to the NTFL. And I just want to, before we get onto your coaching, I just want to dive a bit more into the your playing career. Um, I asked earlier, I don't think you answered, maybe I missed it. At what age did you first play A grade? Uh, so at Main, I played first at uh, 18. I think I've got a couple of games and then it took again, I out and I was out, I probably took, I played, then I was out for a while, didn't again make it till I was 21. That was down in Queensland. Until I become a regular again, and at St Mary's, I, as a nineteen-year-old, I played four games, and then I didn't break back into the side until I become a regular at twenty-one. So it took me quite a while to to uh, to break into the side. So we're going to play three about three years of B of B grade football. So, and that's not an uncommon story. What you're talking about taking time to break into a side, particularly a side like St Mary's, and you see more and more in the last probably ten to twenty years. Um, young players getting upset that they're not getting an opportunity at A grade level, and and probably not respecting the the B grade or Div One as it's called now, um, the way that it should be. What do you think about that difference between players now with the level of respect for the Div One versus, you know, you having to kind of earn your stripes in in B grade to be able to get that opportunity at A grade? Yeah. This is... I used to say a saying at St. Mary's, um, working at McDonald's is not below you. It's an opportunity. And uh, and uh, there's a, a champion of the St. Mary's Football Club called Noel Long. And same thing. He didn't think Div 1, playing Div 1, was below him. He thought it was an opportunity. And 
back when I was like I was one of those players that probably played sixty B grade games. Noel Long, probably as good as NTFL player to ever play the game. He he played about sixty B grade games. I think Michael Long even played quite a lot of B grade footy. Tommy Weech is another one, a very underrated footballer, I reckon, at St Mary's Footy Club. Won a Nichols Medal, uh, won about seven uh, premierships at St Mary's. As good a player to ever play at that footy club. He played about sixty B grade games, and I sort of look today, the kids just don't do that apprenticeship. You know, if it's it's it, it, it does my head in that you know you just. My dad, every time I ever got dropped, I'd go, oh, yeah, I'd be cracking the, the poos and, oh, that coach dropped me. The coach is hopeless. The coach is this and that and that. And I, every single time my dad would say, we'll go back and prove him wrong. Like he never took the coach's side. He'd, he'd, so he'd always take the coach's side. He never took my side. He'd always say, we'll go back and prove him wrong. He he doesn't think you're good enough. Go back, in the B, go back to the Div 1 or the B grade and prove him wrong and make them pick you next week. And... He never took the coach's side. They've never took my side. He would always take the coach's side. And I think a lot of it's parent parenting as well. Uh, parenting, yeah, you know, you've got to look how you gotta have some self assessment. How did you play last week? If the answer is I didn't play very well and you get dropped, like just go back and prove prove yourself, work during the week and get better. You can't and I think a lot of parents like uh, he's entitled or I used to I was a champion at this club, my son should get a game or you can't yeah, if you play if you play poorly, you get dropped. Go back and prove yourself. And if you play well, I tell you what, you'll get you'll get a go. It's pretty simple. Yeah. So you mentioned culture, um, particularly at St Mary's Club, and you hear a lot of coaches talk about culture. You hear a lot of people talk about culture, particularly when they're talking about success. And you say, what was the number one thing, reason behind your success? And people go culture. And I'm trying to dive more and more into these conversations with people about what they mean by culture and what they look like. But what was the culture like at St. Mary's back in those early days when you were breaking into that side? Yeah, funny you ask that question. I'm really big on this one. I hate the word, the word Richmond have got a good culture or St. Mary's have got a good culture. That's You must have a culture of something. Every organisation has a culture of something, like whether football clubs might have a culture of drinking. That's their culture. Their culture is drinking. You've got to, there's not such thing as a good culture. You've got to have some sort of some sort of culture workplaces might have a culture of sick leave workplace might have a culture of uh, disgruntled employees that's the culture is not bad the culture is what it's got to be something to it and I always say with St Mary's I've got a culture of hard work I honestly believe the whole time I played and the whole time that I coached we trained harder than everyone else so I when you talk about what was the coach the culture like I think we had a culture of hard work so when I say they've got a good culture no we didn't have a good culture we had a culture of hard work are you an Aussie rules footballer who would like to maximise your performance to succeed at the top level? My Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program is a 12 phase program that has been curated from my 15 plus years working as a strength and conditioning coach with local footballers right through to AFLW players at Adelaide and Richmond to get instant access to my Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program. Simply head on over to jacobandre.com forward slash Australian dash rules dash football. So you mentioned Ted Liddy as playing under him as a coach. Did you ever play under John Taylor as well? Uh, I played my first couple of games yeah, under John Taylor, yeah. What were the things that you learned or the things that you noticed from those two coaches and any other coaches that you had at St. Mary's? 
Yeah, look, I think obviously John Taylor is a very good coach. I've, there's a lot of things I've taken from all my coaches. You take the good things you t- and you you take the bad things what they are, and then you try and mix them mix them into one. As I said, didn't I was mainly playing B grade uh, at that t- at that time under John Taylor, so it wasn't really hands on. I can't really remember that much of him coming up to me and saying, "Look, why don't you?" try to do this, which is probably more gets done in football football these days. So I can't really comment that much um, under him. I reckon Ted Liddy was was great, just really coached from coached from his heart. And um, as I said, the first year I reckon we were the sixth best team in the comp and we lost the we made a grand final, but at St. Mary's that's not good enough. Um, and then his second year we lost by three three points in a preliminary final to Waratahs who went on a one by ten points. Uh, one by ten goals. So yeah, I had Jamie Thomas was a, a coach that really gave me a go. I thought I was, um, you know, I played pretty well in seconds footy. I must, I, you know, I was six foot five, must have had some, uh, a little bit of football talent because I went on and played 130 more games at the uh, senior games at the footy club. But I, I, you know, I reckon he was great for me. You know, really, really gave me a really good go. Um, but yeah, da- and Damien Howe was a terrific coach um, that I that we had in a very successful era, and they were probably yeah you know, my best my best era. Uh, Years were probably through Ted Liddy and onto Damian Hale, but uh, yeah, I had you know really really good coaches. You mentioned Ted Liddy coaching from the heart. What? How would you describe Damian Hale as a coach? Uh, I reckon Damian it was a, a, a unbelievable motivator, which is probably not big with the kids these days because you know back in those days, it was, rah, you know the coach would give a and Damian is a very good speaker. Yeah, back in those days, which you're talking 20 years ago, maybe more, they were rah rah speeches, and he was probably the best, you know, best of his time. Very good speaker uh, of those days. So I reckon, like you're saying, Ted speak goes from the heart. I reckon Damien, yeah, he was a very good motivator with his, you know, very good with his words, very good with his speaking, good at bringing a bringing a group uh, a group together, and he did very well. That was the end of that John Taylor era. Virtually all those absolute superstars of NTFL football. You know, had retired, or even Damien made some hard decisions on him to tell the truth. Um, and then he brought the new crop through, and that new crop was the Iggy and Anthony Vallejo, Ricky, Ricky and Danny Noll, and Nick, and Nick Ingle, um, Ahiba Riolis were coming through at the time as well. Um, and he brought Nick Ingle, he brought that group, Raf Clark, he brought that group, brought that group through. What was the transition like for you from player into coaching? Yeah, I did a pretty long apprenticeship. Um, which was good, I reckon. So I sort of, I remember if I ever thought about coaching, my old man would say, "Don't coaching's for 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 old people. Don't ever think about coaching until the day you can never play football again." So I was about thirty-eight, I think, and I was playing in the old Sunday comp for pints. And Murray Davis had come up to coach uh, coach the NT Thunder, and I'd played against him a fair bit in Brisbane. And uh, and out of nowhere, I got this text message from him. I ran into him a few times at the footy and that. And I got this text message. Oh, it's Murray Davis. Do you want to meet at North Lakes there? Do you want to have a coffee? So, I had a co- I was having a coffee with him, and there he offered me assist be the assistant coach of NT Thunder, and that's where the ball ran from there, and, and fell in love with coaching. I'd coached a bit. I lived in I'd lived in Sweden for a year, and I uh, needed to get a job. So there was three teams over there, and I said, whatever club gets me a job, I'll coach her. So one of them got me a job. So I had coached before um, in Sweden, but yeah, Murray had seen something in me. And um, yeah, they coached at Thunder. Thunder was alive for I think ten years. Was virtually there the whole time. Really full on the first five years. Um, and then now and then, like other coaches would say, "Look, we can't get an assistant coach to come. Can you travel this weekend?" Yeah, so I'd still be poking my head in and all that sort of thing. So I did ten years of virtually 
uh, assistant coach of NT Thunder, and then uh, then got the call where St Mary's and it was mainly the play, the playing group to tell the truth. They were the ones that were really chasing me then to go on uh, go on and coach St Mary's Football Club. When you took over Saints, they from memory they were highly successful. What was the motivation behind that? Because I imagine the standards, and you've already talked about it with Vic Ludwig, the standards would have been so high. This is a team that I think had won a ton of premierships already. Why go to a club like that? I think I know your answer, but I'm interested yeah. in what you have to say. Uh, with that, I um, I, I probably took over a group, a group of players that had finished their career. Like no one applied for the job. Like everyone says, I've heard people say, oh, he was, you know, he's given this unreal list at St. Mary's. I was given a great list four years earlier. Like they're all, third, most of the players were between 31 and 33 sort of thing. So um, no one applied. So it, must, it wasn't that good of a, a coaching job. And it was mainly the playing groups, the Iggy Vallejos, Peter McFarlane's and that. And one of the big ones to get me, because I was an assistant coach the year before, I took a lot of the training. I took the whole preseason the year before at St. Mary's uh, the year before. Um, and there was the playing group that sort of come, we want you to do it, we want you to do it. And a, a good mate of mine, Stewie Sini, he was like, he goes, you you got to coach this club. You have to coach St. Mary's Footy Club. And it wasn't for Stewie. I remember there was a, a week, it was at Nycliffe Oval, I took training, the coach was Jason Cotter and he was away that week and we took tra- I took training that week, the whole week, he'd gone back to Brisbane. Then we come out and we played and a lot of the things that I spoke about at training, implemented at training, we did it in the game. Walking out of the Nycliffe Footy Club and Stewie Sandy followed me out and he said, you have to coach St. Mary's Footy Club next year and you have to. You just What you did during the week, everything worked, um, the boys love you. You've got to coach this footy club next year. And that's the first time I thought about it. It was just outside the Nightly Sports Club. Hadn't really thought about it before. Probably didn't have the courage to tell the truth. You got to, You need courage to coach the St. Mary's Footy Club. Probably didn't have the courage. Him saying that to me and and implement down that game, those words was the first time I ever said, geez, maybe I can do this. So um, and then yeah, and then the players sort of got behind me and that's what that's what made me do it. How many premierships all up as a player and then as a coach? Uh, two as a player, playing five NTFL grand finals, two as a player, one, two as a player, and I coached four at St. Mary's and four, five years I coached for four grand finals, one, three, three premierships. Three premierships as a coach. And so you mentioned Thunder. What was it like being at Thunder and were you – you, you would have been there for the that first premiership, correct? Yeah, I was very hands-on with that. And it was real good. Murray Davis was unbelievable. I learned more from him than I've learned from, from anyone. He was an unbelievable. And he's the Brisbane Lions, been at the Brisbane Lions for the last 10 years. So he's, a, yeah, he's an unbelievable coach. But just his work ethic, I learned how to work hard as a coach. Um, yeah, he's – and even now, I'll catch he texts me last night, actually, say – Still keep in touch with him. If I go to Brisbane, I'll look, come on, mate, get your computer out. What's, what's the latest movements in football? I'll, I'll do a one-hour session with him at least once or twice a year, still in contact with him um, pretty regularly. You mentioned get the computer out when you're with him. You've already mentioned your love of uh, technology, in particular electric cars. Talking about that computer, you created a software program called Sports Clip Maker, which as soon as I saw, I was in love with. Actually, do you still make that? Is that still available? Yeah, yeah, still selling at sportsclipmaker.com, going all right. I don't push it as much these days, but, yeah, it's pro- probably a million-dollar product that I probably need to push a little bit more, to tell the truth. Um, Honestly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, what I um, 
what I yeah when I was at Thunder, and that's the best thing, and this is what I think NT football's really missing at the moment. When I was at Thunder, you get, they get better coaches, better than the NTF. Everyone at Thunder was a better coach than me. Whether it was uh, Murray, you know, Murray Davis, Daniel Archer, uh, Xavier Clark. Darren Reeves come for the last year just coached Glenelg to a premiership. So you were able to learn off the you know, able to learn off these people, and that's where I think NT footy is missing. Is we, how do we upskill our people? And NT through NT Thunder, I was lucky to do uh, four one week stints at AFL clubs. Uh, so I went to four different AFL clubs. The first one I ever went to was the Gold Coast Suns, and I worked with Sean Hart. I think he's a three times premiership player with the Brisbane Lions, and he won a Norm Smith medal. And I was with him for the week, just followed him around for the week, and he had his Apple Mac computer, and everything he did was with the computer. And it was just before I started coaching at St. Mary's, and he's, yeah, just everything was with the computer, showing, yeah, should have done this, do this, he did this well, all this sort of stuff. And I come out of there, and I said, how much to buy this program, sports codes, the program, and it cost tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, and he goes, I said, oh, I can't afford that sort of thing. So then I rang a mate of mine. His name's Carl Herbert. He played about eight games at Collingwood, a bit of a legend at West Adelaide in the SNFL. And I knew he was in the – I played with him at Maine. I knew he was in the computers and that. And I said, look, I've got this idea. I don't know what you do, but this is my idea. I told him. So I finished Friday afternoon. I rang him. I hadn't spoken to him for years, and I throw this idea at him. Then he rings me back Monday morning. He goes, oh, I think you're on a bit of a winner here. And uh, I said, look, everything out there is just too expensive. So – yeah, design sports clip maker, and um, it's just it's 300, 300 Australian dollars a year, 240 US. Um, yeah, and I've, yeah, I, like I, yeah, as I said, I don't I probably should push it more. Technology moves a lot, so you need your developers to upgrade things, things like that all the time. There's a lot of move, moving parts with technology, and um, probably should push it more. Really enjoyed it, done pretty well out of it, and um, yeah, and that. That's why it just an idea. I went to an AFL club, saw how they did it, and then I just thought that we need this software for the little, for the little person, for the local coach, the semi-professional, and the amateur coach. And I did it, and it's done pretty well, sold all over the world, so it's done all right. For three hundred dollars US a year, it's way too cheap. Uh, so I'll give you a quick story. I think we might have even had this conversation. So I started working with Wanderers. I was asked to come on and do some fitness at Wanderers um, many years ago. I think it was maybe. I don't know, 2013 or 14 maybe. And um, the year before, a guy called Anthony Hazeldean, who I know from the NT Institute of Sport, um, had done some fitness at Wanderers. And he said to me, Jacob, like anyone really can do the fitness stuff. You can get them, you know, fitter, stronger, faster, all that kind of thing. Um, the, the big jump is going to be where you're going to set yourself apart from any other club. And what you're doing in particular is through video. So do some video analysis. So I kind of was trying to get video through YouTube and then like just cut it using iMovie. Next year, I then started a business with another guy, Paul Mead, called Down Academy of Sport. And we came across Sports Clip Maker. So we purchased it and I used it that year at Wanderers. And then I then went with Dean Rioli, um, who got the job at Palmerston, used it there at Palmerston with them for two years. In terms of a development tool in developing players, it was phenomenal. But in terms of game strategy, it was even better. And so what what I love about it is that you just plug in, and I want to give people a bit of an idea of what goes on here, and you can explain in more detail if you like, but what I loved about it was that I could have all the players listed down one side. I could have all the different things I was looking at, whether it was like um, inside 50s, rebound 50s, handball receives. Handball receives at Wanderers with Dean was one of our major KPIs. Um, hitting 50, we, we knew that if we got 15 handball receives in a quarter, 
uh, with the way that we wanted to play the game, we would always win the quarter. Stats showed it 100% of the time. So all, and we could create buy-in because we could show the players that, look, we got 15, we got 16, we got 17 this quarter. And generally we got it down to such a fine art that we knew that we would on average score three goals and two points in a quarter if we hit 15 handballs received because it was all about just that quick gameplay, obviously with the handball receives. And so we will look at that in games and go, okay, what's going on here? What I love is that you just literally, if you go, oh, it's a handball received, you click the space bar and it will give you a period of time before and after, say 30 seconds before and 30 seconds after of that play. And then we could put all of that, those skills, whether it was an inside 50, a rebound 50, a contest, whatever, as well as the player, you could click on the, the player and get that player would get their several minutes of ball contact every time. It's for $300 a year. It's ridiculously cheap. And I think every club should be using it if they want to progress to the next level. Yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't have had the success without without it. I you still use it last week. Last week, I just I, I can't coach without it. I have to have the uh, the video the, the video game because you can say to a player, I remember in the second quarter over on the scoreboard side there, you know, you should have halved the contest. But like, they don't remember that. But if you show, the video doesn't lie, like you know, so and it's the the quickest way of um the quickest way of teaching. The, the quickest teaching tool there is is just sitting down with players and going through it, and I just can't believe how much it can accelerate, um, accelerate uh, you know, side. And that I must say, um, technology will only accelerate a transformation. It won't. It'll never win you a premiership. So you've got to do the hard work. If you're not out on the middle of Marara, wherever it is, doing the hard work at training, having your diet right, all these sort of things, putting the work in, you're not going to win a flag. But what? technology can do is it can transform a uh it can accelerate it a, uh, a transformation so it can get you that get you there quicker with technology so it's really good but it's funny you say a lot of coach like when i was coaching st mary's I, I was nailing recruits coming up here because everyone sort of wanted to go to st mary's because they were getting their vision i can put a voice recording over the top of the vision and say uh hey jacob bloody really well done there, mate. I saw that your gut run. That was awesome to get to that contest. Terrific. So when the player watched the vision, he also had my voice coming, you know, coming over the top of it. Mate, we we're nailing the, the we weren't getting a lot of recruits, but what we were doing is nailing the best the best ones wanted to be in good they want to be in good football programs. So but then everyone now they get then I think the NTFL go and pay someone to someone to cut up the vision. And it annoys me a little bit. They say, oh, yeah, we do video analysis. I'm like, yeah, but handing someone some video doesn't mean nothing. The coach has got to give instruction. They've got to, is that going to create growth, someone looking at their vision? Like, you know, and the coach has got to either give the feedback, you know, do match reviews, do group match reviews, what you were talking about um, at Palmerston. So, yeah, it, it's really helped my coach, and I do think uh, it, it accelerates improvement very, very quickly. And one of the things that I like that you also do, you mentioned when you were going through the um, the software with me when we just purchased it uh, and you were saying that you don't do a lot of or any, uh, correct me, however you do it, uh, writing on a whiteboard. You know, that's sort of 1980s type style. And a lot of coaches will do that, put all these words up, you know, like one-on-one, win the one-on-one, you know, like be the first of the contest, whatever. Um, and you were saying that you would do two positives and a negative type thing. So before a game, it would be about 90 seconds of video, 30 seconds of what we want to go out and be known for in this game, 30 seconds or so or whatever on, you know, something about the other team that you wanted to nullify and then another positive again uh, about what you wanted to achieve. Because a lot of players 
uh, either kinesthetic or visual learners, meaning that they're about feeling and doing, um, being kinesthetic or visual seeing, but not necessarily about reading and writing, uh, which is what it is if you're obviously putting it up on the whiteboard. So having that vision, it's very clear exactly what you are after. So tell me a bit more about your pre-game using the video. Yeah, I probably am significantly different to anyone with that. I don't, I've never write on, I still now don't write, write, don't like writing on a whiteboard. And with Marara, I, I used to watch this a lot. I, I like watching other coaches, I like, well, like watching other programs, even from other sports. But at Marara, because we've got all those change rooms all together, you could often be going to the toilet or walking out or walking past and you could see pre-game speeches. And I'd see just an, an essay written on these whiteboards. And then I'd look at the group and there's, he's addressing 22 people and 18 of them are looking on the ground. They don't care. Well, they don't, they're not listening. They don't like the human brain can only take in one minute of quality information. So um, I just, as I said, I don't write on a whiteboard. I try to make it really, really quick. Um, The the video, what you were just saying, three points, try to make, try to make it as positive as I can. If we have to do a negative, we have to, Um, and just say, look, this week we want to keep the ball on the forward line and then just show some examples of the week before, you know, a couple of 10 second clips of how we keep the ball on the forward line or whatever way we want to do it. Just, just show a couple of clips instead of, I just don't get writing on a whiteboard and same, you've only, the players only train Tuesday for one hour and Thursday, you only get them for two hours a week. And I actually, without my one, though I can do the review with my voice over the top with the sports clip maker and I put it onto YouTube and send it out. So instead of that means you're getting the whole time of touching footballs instead of and the whole review is they just watch it when they want to watch it. So um, and I always find when you're saying about the pre-game one and I've seen photo, a lot of photos have been taken of me doing this video thing, and you've got twenty-two people, twenty-two players, one hundred percent engaged for two reasons. One, this generation loves loves looking at themselves. It's the selfie generation, as we can see with Instagram and all this stuff. So what are they doing? They're looking to see if they're on there. Like they they want to see whether they're on there. So you're getting full engagement when you do show a quick video before the game or if you do do a match review uh, and send it out on YouTube, of course people are looking because they want to see whether they've done something good, whether they've done or, or if there's an area they can improve on. But you get 100% engagement from your players, I reckon. Yeah, I like what you said about the two hours. So you get one hour twice a week of training. So it's two hours a week. There's 168 hours in a week. What are you doing with that other 166 hours? And so when you can use the video, you're making quality use of that outside of training hours. Um, oh, the you, feedback I used to get with, oh, look, and, then, and then players would come down and play, and they're in VFL systems and that, and they go, oh, we're trained for two hours. Then we've got to have a team, the video review, which would go for half an hour. And then they'd get home at night, you know, the nine o'clock at night. And my, most of them are plumbers or builders. They've got to work their absolute backsides off at work you know, the next day. And they're just sitting there. They haven't eaten. They've worked there. They've been digging holes all day. All they do is want to get home. They're not, they don't want to sit there for this massive review. And a lot of feedback I got is, mate, we watch it when we're ready to watch it, whether we're sitting in bed, whether it's at our lunch break, whenever it is. But again, you're fully engaged because they watch it when they want to watch it. Where if you say, right, we're now finished training, everyone back to the St. Mary's Footy Club, we're doing a half an hour review. Not everyone's they've got kids, they've got other things on in life, where if you send it out on a YouTube video, they watch it when they're ready to watch it, so you've got full engagement. So you're now coaching the Pint women. Are you still using this video analysis stuff in the pre-game and throughout training with them? Yep. 
we, we don't get our games videoed as much, which is probably better. Like, I look back at my time at Saints, and I was, I was cutting up as much vision as a professional AFL player. I probably went overboard, to tell the truth. And I, I do want to go back to the men's space um, one day. And if I and then you do get your videos more often. I won't do it. I won't go as stupid. I look back at my time at Saints, and uh, I'd kill – I could just – it was over, overkill – not overkill the information, but I just – I look back at my time at Saints. Sometimes it was the best five years of my life, but it was the hardest five years of my life. I really put a lot, you know, I put put a lot into it, sort of thing. So it's good with the girls. You just get the games now and then. Um, so yeah, you'll get every third week, and that's about that's probably about right. About every third week, and now I'll sit down. And we 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 were lucky we got videoed the first week, and it made it, it helps. For the, it's it's phenomenal teaching. Yeah. So you you leave Saints very successful coaching the men. You end up getting asked to go and coach Pints at the with the women. What was the reason for that for you? Uh, the reason for that, so I finished at Saints and I actually had two NTFL clubs really professionally having a, a really big crack at me. I was pretty impressed with them. Um, with and I, and I was very close to doing one of them, in all honesty. Um, but I'd been at St. Mary's my whole life, um, a life member of the club, um, yeah, and I just, I, my dad had always been like at North Melbourne or at Maine or before that, Wangaratta Rovers. He'd never changed clubs. So I think it was sort of very, very loyal person. So I just couldn't see myself going directly. I'd had, my time was up at Saints, as I said. I'd, co- I'd just cook myself. Um, and I, yeah, and was interested in coaching other clubs, but I just couldn't bring myself to coach against St. Mary's. I'll certainly not go from St. Mary's directly to to another club. Um, and it was sort of funny. I'd been involved with Thunder Women. Andrew Hodges asked me to help them out one year, the year before, and I got mates with Katie Stretter when I was coaching her. And she, I'll never forget the first time she rang me and she goes, oh, yeah, I'm just ringing up to see if you want to come and coach Pints Women next year. And I, without not being disrespectful, but I sort of said, look, a little, uh, look, Katie, I'm actually getting offered very good money to go and coach other clubs. Um, I don't think the point being on coaching points women is quite on the radar compared to what I'm being um, some of the good offers and the professionalism of these other clubs at the moment. Um, and then yeah, hung up and I said, thanks a lot, mate. You know, bloody. And I, she'd actually asked me to take points training twice the year before. So I'd actually taken the, the girls for training twice the year before and, and loved it. They're were, they were, they were absolutely rip, rippers. So had a little bit of a try before you buy. Anyway, she just kept ringing me all the time saying, <laughs> come on, we want, we, are, we want you to coach. We want you to coach. We'll do everything, anything. But now we know we don't pay what men's pay, but what – what can it take? What we're prepared to do anything. We just want you. And it just, the phone calls just kept coming and coming and coming. And I just love coaching. I just love it. So that's, that's people like fishing. I like coaching. Like, you know, people like going to the gym. I enjoy trying to make people better footballers. I just love it. So yeah, I wasn't comfortable coaching against St. Mary's in the headspace. I did play for pints in the Sunday, you know, in the Sunday comp, playing two premierships in the Sunday comp with them. I went at a couple of premiership reunions that year and I went back to them and I enjoyed my time at these premiership reunions. And anyway, Katie just kept at me, um, at me and at me and at me. And I'll probably share something. I've never shared this with something that was a bit of a turning point. She goes, oh, the girls got together last night and we had a meeting and we don't care how many sausage sizzles we've got to cook to get you over the line. Um, we want you, we want you. And I went home and I told my wife about it. I said, and you talk about emotional intelligence. Like that's the highest emotional intelligence you can have 
have for someone. I said, if these girls, and of course they've never cooked a sausage till, they've never made them, they've never done anything like that to have to raise any money or anything. That hasn't been required. I've done it for nothing. But I just think that emotional intelligence to for those girls to say that, I turned around to my wife and I said, um, and I've never told this story actually, and I've never even told Katie, and I thought, if these girls are going to cook bunny sausage sizzles and all this sort of stuff to try and get me on board, well, bloody stuff it. I'll go and coach them to see how we're going. So I only thought I'd do it for one year, maybe two years, and now I'm in my fourth year, and I just absolutely love it. The group are unbelievable. I get a lot of a really big kick out how quickly you can improve um, girls, girls, football, uh, girls in football. They can just improve so much. Great group, train really hard, as professional as anyone um, – anyone I've ever coached, uh, sort of transform, like, really transformed that women's program. Like they, Before I got there, they used to put a Facebook post up, you ticked a box, whoever ticked the box got a game. They didn't have selection, they didn't have have anything sort of thing. And that's the biggest thing. I When I turned up, I've got the numbers grew. We, we get 100 a train some nights. We've got four sides going. So we've gone from ticking a box four years ago, whoever ticked the box got a game. Now you and I had to teach the girls like girls. It's not netball where you get you go and try it at the start of the year and you with that team the whole year. You know if you play well you go up. If you don't play well you go down. It's pretty. So I had to teach that. And they've just been a great group. Get a lot of enjoyment out of how quickly you can improve improve girls. Um, and I just I'm in love with the group. I'm not in love with coaching women's footy. I'm in love with this group. I just love them. What's the biggest difference that you've noticed between men's and women's football? As a coach, sometimes I get asked it a lot, that, and then sometimes I go, "I'm oh, not nothing," because they want to achieve. But of course, there's a difference. Like last year at halftime, you address three girls were breastfeeding at halftime. Like so, that, that that doesn't happen in men's footy. The first year I coached, we won a flag. Half the side got pregnant the year, the next year. Yeah, you know, like sort of thing. So it's not there's those differences whatsoever. But what it is, is I can tell you now, the group, I can only speak for the government, the group that I've got, is that, you know, they take their, ser- their, their footy as serious as anyone I've ever coached. They just absolutely love it, train hard, do their gyms on the off nights, their diets, they get to training, wanting to improve. And that's, well, as I said, we've got A's, B's, we've got three sides and we virtually fill in for Tracy Village Tiwi. We virtually have their side as well. So four teams um, and even the force team, they want to become better footballers as much as anyone anyone that I've ever coached. They're just uh, So that side of it, I think, if anything, that they put in uh, – I think points women – points uh, – St. Mary's, we train as hard as we, we – we, you know, I'm not saying the men train harder than the girls are coached now, but I reckon that our, our girls over the last four years have put in – yeah, at more than a couple of the NTFL men's sides that I've seen, as in, you know, getting the training early, buying in. Um, yeah, we don't do fly-ins. Another thing I'm pretty proud of, we're just, we, it's organic organic growth. Everyone everyone here lives in Darwin and they, we, we're a good group. They party hard, don't get me wrong, they party hard. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't see that side of it, the footy side of it, different to men. I just, I think it's, they want to win. They want to sing the song after the game. They want to win a premiership and, Go on benders for three days afterwards. All the same as what what I had when I've whenever I've coached men. You're the reigning women's NFL coach. Tell me about how that happened last year. Yeah, sort of. Um, as I said, just girls can improve really quickly. I reckon. Like, yeah, they can. You can't get that much improvement out of a out of a male, I think, because they're so new to the game. Pints, I think, attract 
Well, 80% of our girls work at the hospital, to tell the truth. They're doctors, nurses, radiologists. So they've got something going for them, a lot of them. Like they've got degrees. They've moved up from down south. They've left mum and dad. Um, a lot of them have played netball, other sports, a lot of hockey players, that sort of thing. So they've played other sports, got a bit going for them, want to train hard. And I think it's pretty easy to improve, you know, improve, improve them pretty quickly. Um Created a great culture. We do attract good, you know, we do attract good players. Um, they're putting back, as I said, they're putting a lot back into the Northern Territory economy in in what they do up at the hospital. You know, I coach them through COVID, um, and, and and enjoy that side of them, giving them an out. You know, they 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 want to get away from that. Then don't I could see that side. They just want to get away from that, and they want to become better. And football's a good out for them as well because there's so many hospital workers and teachers. And as you know, teachers. Got a wife that's a teacher, and as you know, Jacob, teaching is a pretty hard uh, occupation as well. And uh, you know, so a bit lucky that way. We've got girls that want to improve themselves, and uh, yeah, it's been coaching them for three years. Won the prep, went from I think they come sixth year before to premiers the first year. The next year we had a lot of not half the side, but a lot of girls got pregnant. Um, but in that year, we weren't the best. There's no one on the best side, but something I'm pretty proud of. We actually drew with Buffaloes and lost in overtime by a point in a uh, in a semi final. I think they they were a ten goal better side than what we are, but we shall we nearly you know we we one point off going to the next you know the next stage of that final. They went on and won the next two games by ten goals, but we drew we drew that game, lost it in overtime. Then we come out last year, uh, we're pretty pretty good in our home and away scene because we've got the same side every week. All our girls live in Darwin, don't have any fly-ins, a few hiccups in the font. We lost the final. Um, and yeah, you know, and then the flying's come finals, and it is hard. They they're flying good players, um, but yeah, then went away and we won the won the grand final with ten goals. You meant you mentioned losing that. Is that the game against Waratah that first final? Because I know oh, yeah, that but... you you obviously played Waratahs in the grand final and you won that, but you played them a couple of weeks before and you lost it. Yeah, exactly. We Tar, yeah, Tar's beat us pretty convincingly, to tell the truth. So it actually happened in their first year. We lost the first final in the first year I coached as well. So um, with that, I think with girls, you just got to, with footy now, you just, all right, we lost, get on with it. Where, where did we lose it? Let's go back to train. Let's get on with it. Keep things, keep a happy mode. We went in, played St. Mary's the next the next week last year. And in all honesty, they're, they're probably a better side than us on paper. They've got Danny O'Ponner. They, they had a pretty... Brought in a lot of girls from down south. They're pretty stacked side. We're four four goals down at three quarter time. A couple of St Mary's girls are hugging each other. It's on video, all over. Just come from nowhere to win that game by four points. After the game, I've never seen celebrations like it. Honestly, it's <laughs> one of the best feelings I've had in footy uh, to do to do that. So I had two hard finals. Lost one, three four goals down. Four goals down in women's football can be you know, six to eight goals down in men's footy. Won a game we never should have won. Then going and yeah, and when the we would won the, the grand final pretty comfortably. So I, I want to talk about the, those two comebacks: the one against Saints in the game, and the one against Waratahs a couple of weeks later. So, firstly, the Saints one. What did you, the coaching group, and the players do to overcome that four goal deficit at three quarter time, and then to win by four points? Yeah, I, I, before the game, before the game, because I get, get, the girls get it, they put so much into it, and then you lose it, and you, you're out in straight sets, sort of thing. So I reckon they are a little bit nervous. So I sort of said to the girls, "We've got to go into our nightclub." Like, I'm against this sort of stuff, but they like that. It's like a nightclub. So get your dancing going, get all that sort of stuff going. And I said to them, I actually said these words. I said, "Girls, if we lose this game, I'm still going to love you tomorrow. It doesn't. I'll be." 
the, the happiest coach in the world because you give everything to me. So let's not worry about whether we win or lose. If we if we lose, we'll go and have a drink together. If we win, we've got a grand final next week. But let's just enjoy it. I'll still love you tomorrow if we win or lose. Went out. We're in a lot of trouble at three-quarter time. And the message was the same. Football's a funny game. Let's just see what can happen. If we have a crack, just see what can happen. I said, funny things happen in football. And then it just went bang. Jazz Hewitt turned it on. Bang, bang, bang. Goals. Um, got the ball out of the middle. Everything comes out of the middle. I reckon in football, it all comes down to that. And we won a game of football we never should have won. Sounds pretty inspirational in terms of that motivational speech. And it sounds like you mentioned that Damien Hale, who you played under as the most motivational sort of speech giver uh, in a rah-rah-rah sense, sounds like you did it in a much more uh, quieter, tamed sense, but sounds like a lot of inspiration there. Uh, So you end up making it to the grand final. Tell me about grand final week and what you did and how you overcame losing to Waratahs a couple of weeks before to then, because to that I was at the grand final and I was, I was tipping Waratah. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Like Waratahs after quarter time were not in the game at all. Yeah, I just think we did the work. As I said, all our girls live in Darwin. They're close. Like they party hard. They're close. If you've done, if you go into finals and you know, you've done the work, you're half a chance. You know, you're half a chance. I think we've done the work. Probably didn't play, to, you know, had a couple off days in in finals, and they were good size. Don't get me wrong, Waratahs and St Marys was just just as good as what we were, we are on paper, what we were on paper, and um, yeah, just uh, I always talk. We I talk a lot to the girls about footy karma. Um, you know, if you do the work, the footy gods will look after you. And I think that day, if you ask them the question, what do we do well, or what what do we do? Footy karma. We did the work, and the footy gods paid us back. Was there any strategy at all? Was there anything that you tried to nullify in Waratahs and, and what was the strategy in your game plan? No, we've got some, we just got football's a simple game, I think. I think we all we all watch too, and don't get me wrong, I'm as bad. We watch too much AFL 360. We watch too much talk and footy. We watch all, all this sort of stuff. Footy's a simple game. Get it from one end of the ground to the other. Make the least mistakes as you can, so do the basics well. Get it into your four line. Get it through the through the, the the two big sticks. We've got some good systems through the midfield. Don't get me wrong. You've got to win the ball there. We've got systems where we want to get the ball in the forward line, but they're just basic. You know, they're just basic things. We didn't didn't change too much up. Of, you know, we, of course we put a lot of time through through the center in our systems there, but nah, not in all honesty. Just play well. Footy guides looked after us. You certainly did all the basics well and congratulations on winning that grand final. Rick, I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you do in the coaching space now um, from your time at St. Mary's to Pint and everywhere else that you've been, um, including the people that you've helped out with your Sports Clip Maker program. I'll link that up in the show notes at sportsclipmaker.com. And thank you for your time today on the Mind Your Body Show. Before I let you go, though, I've been taking notes while you've been talking, and it's now time for our 10 in 10. So you're up and keen for this quick fire, 10 quick questions. Let's do it. Is it one answer question? What's the, how do I answer it? Well, I don't really have any rules on it. So sometimes right. people end up talking for 10 minutes on one thing. It, sometimes it opens up a whole new chapter. Sure. But um, you can give me one word. You can give me whatever you want. You feel free to go off and tell us a funny story uh, if it sparks a memory. Too easy. All right. Number one, electric cars. Uh, the future. 
Uh, that, that, uh, like it or not, it's uh, by twenty thirty, every every everyone will have it. When battery technology, I'm not a. Don't get me wrong, I'm not this big greenie. I'm a, I'm a technology nerd. I, I believe that we in the green transition, but I love the technology of this transition. Uh, when we nail battery capture or energy capture through batteries, uh, it's going to be a game changer. So, extra one, where are you off to this weekend in the car? Uh, I, my life, I drive to work into the Marara Station. Marara um, football football area is about the only place I go in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Marara Sports uh, Sporting Area. That's the only place I go. The only, the only thing I have in my life is... Uh, this, yeah, this is coming out on Monday, so it will be after the fact. Um, but who do you play this weekend? Uh, we play Waratah's grand final replay. Oh, really? And what, what day is that? Sunday night. Sunday night. Sunday. All right, so this will be 24 hours after that. So interesting to know if you won that replay. And who's next week then? Do you know yet? Or are you going to give me the whole one week at a time? One week, yeah. One districts, I think. We play districts, I think. Yeah. All right, number two, I'm glad you mentioned where you drive to, Airport Fireys. Uh, very lucky to be in the job. Very fortunate that uh, good people got me or helped me get in the job. It's been a long time. How many years? 30 years. I think I've been there the most of uh, of everyone. They gave out redundancies in COVID, so I'm the only old bugger out there now. So. Yeah, you've got plenty of long service leave. Is that why all those barley trips, you can yeah. handle them? Yeah, I've got to get out to Darwin now then. It's only two hours away. So. Actually... Speaking of Bali, I love Bali. My favourite part is Sunua. Where's, where do you go in Bali? Where's the number one spot? Uh, I hang around Legion. I go 200 metres to the left and 200 metres to the right. So I just love going down the beach for sunset beers. And I, I, a couple of sports bars I hang out with. And there's always someone in a sport. There's someone I've played footy with somewhere in Australia at a sports bar that I just sit there and watch a lot of sport and just go down the beach at night. And I go 200 metres to the left, 200 metres to the right of my hotel. So don't vent- I, lately I've been venturing a bit with my wife, but we don't. I always go to get out of Darwin, get out of uh, a different life. I don't drink a lot in Darwin, um, so a bit, a bit of a, I do over, a little bit different over there, just a different life. I saw you actually post a picture of yourself up on a massive cliff looking out over like real beautiful water. I actually had to look at the location that you put on Instagram to see where it was, and I think it was somewhere near Noosa the Gilly Islands. Or... No, Noosa, Noosa Bedina, I reckon it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Lovely place. Is that near, um, not Gilly Eyes, not, what's that other one? Lombok. Is that anywhere near Lombok? No, uh, no. It's actually still part of Bali. It's just a ferry ride. It's not that far away, but it's become very famous. So it's like Bali 80 years ago, I suppose. No, there's no Circle K or there's no 7-Eleven. There's no restaurants. They're all wrong. So it's it's old Bali sort of thing. But beautiful, oh, beautiful. But there's no infrastructure there. Hard to get around, but it's unbelievable. Yeah. All right, number three, the St. Mary's Football Club. Uh, um, that St. Mary's Football Club have opened a lot of doors for me is what I'll say. Like I wouldn't be the person that I am today, whether it be getting in the fire brigade, whether it be getting into coaching, whether it be getting into playing, um, or, or where, every, anything that I've achieved, a lot of those, anything I've achieved in life, not just football, a lot of it comes back to the St. Mary's Football Club has been, has opened those doors for me, made me a better person, my friendships, all that sort of thing. So very grateful to be involved with that football club. Mm, number four, ruck work. Um, underrated. Uh, I, I do think a dominant ruckman, especially hit outs to advantage uh, in a, in big finals games, uh, it, it goes a long way to winning a game, uh, winning a finals game of football. Well, I think it worked for you at Pines last year with Jasmine Hewitt. 
Jasmine Hewitt, Matt Dennis nearly got districts out of the line. I think I think Ruckman are very important in football, in finals football. Number five, North Melbourne Football Club. Uh, hopefully on the rise. Yeah, I just I look. I watch every game. Um, yeah, my son who you taught, he lived in Sweden for a long time. I was living used to go over there for about eleven weeks every year. Bring him back here. I think what our bond was the North Melbourne Football Club. He'd be watching the game over there. I'd be watching here. We'd be on Skype together. Broad Springs, all my cousins together, done a lot. Again, North Melbourne Football Club has done a lot for mum and dad. Like what everything my dad achieved had a lot to do with the North Melbourne Football Club. So from our, our family, like St Mary's, has done a lot for me. I think the North Melbourne Football Club's done a lot for our family. So you mentioned Noah, your son, who I taught last year in year 12. He's now finished school. You said you don't go out and actively tell people that you're McNolan's son. Let me tell you, Noah certainly goes out and tells people that McNolan's his grandfather. He made <laughs> us watch highlights in class on YouTube. And and while we're on highlights, he must be a technology nut like you because he certainly wasn't shy in making sure that he shared his own highlights in class time. <laughs> Certainly loves a good highlight. Number six, culture. Uh, I hate when people say they've got a good culture. You've got to have a culture of something, and that culture may be drinking. It might be a bad culture, but you must have a culture of something. And you might have a culture of a couple. You might have a culture of a couple of things, like St. Mary's, I said, culture of hard work. I reckon they had a culture of welcoming people. Same with the Queen Ants, the girls, very welcoming. So there's a culture of hard work, what I like with our footy, is a culture of hard work, a culture of welcoming people into that environment as well. Number seven, the value of apprenticeships. Yeah, I think especially these young blokes these days give it away. You know, um, They give up too easy, I think. There's nothing wrong... You know, cooking hamburgers at McDonald's is not below you. That's probably the, you know, a really good saying. So, And it's the same. Playing B-grade football isn't below people. You're playing there for a reason. Either the coach doesn't think you're good enough or you've played poorly the game before. So change the coach's mind. I love it. Number eight, NT Thunder. Uh, again, a, another organisation. I don't love it like the St Mary's Football Club or you know the North Melbourne Football Club or something like that, but opened a lot of doors. It's very good to me. Uh, one other thing I will say about NT Thunder that they don't have today, I learned everything from NT Thunder, from a coaching point of view, from NT Thunder. The coaches there were better than me. I, want, I always want to surround, even I've always, something I probably didn't probably speak about, all my assistant coaches are always better than me. I had Stewie Davies. Andrew Wills at, at St. Mary's. They were there, and, and uh, Andrew Hodges, Andrew Wills, and Stewie Davis. They're better coaches than me. Like, so you surround yourself with people that are better than you. And that's the thing with Thunder. They had brought coaches in. I wanted to be an assistant coach under these guys, the, the Murray Davises, the, the Xavier Clarks, Daniel Archers, these sort of people, because I wanted to learn off them. And that's where I think with the NT, people say the NT Thunder, what it's not now doing is creating pathways for coaches because they sent me away and they upskilled me a hell of a lot. So, yeah, it's not in my heart. Like, of course, there's a place in my heart, but it's not like it is St. Mary's. But uh, as a coach, the NT Thunder 100% moulded me as a coach. You mentioned Andrew Wills. What's he doing with himself now? Is he still right. around coaching? Yeah, assistant coach of St. Mary's. So Andrew Wills and Stewie Davies are probably the two most underrated people at St. Mary's in a way because they've probably been involved in 20 premierships. They've been the assistant coach. And I'm, we wouldn't have won flag. I, I wouldn't have been had the success without those people around me. Like uh, They're probably very, very underrated. I think Andrew, Stuart Davies is running the NTFL at the moment. He's retired and they keep chasing him to get him back. Uh, and Andrew Wills has been away and he's come back and still involved with, uh, with the St. Mary's Football Club. Very good brain, both those people. Very underrated 
uh, underrated coaches. They probably can't, don't want to coach, don't want to speak, but they know a lot more about football than I do. I can tell you that now. And the third one I just want to um, mention and talk a bit more about is Andrew Hodges, uh, who I would also consider to be one of the smartest football brains as well. Obviously, you know, went from an assistant at St. Mary's to head coach at Wanderers, took them from like near the bottom of the ladder on this crazy run they had to win the last game of the home and away season, which was against Palmerston, which I was involved with at the time, and then go through and win those finals games. And I think they ended up beating St. Mary's in that grand final. Am I correct? Yeah, but unfortunately, I was coaching it. Yeah, sort yeah, of funny. They come from six, and I knew they were, well, we'd only just beaten them in the grand final the year before, and we only just beat any grand final we played Wanderers, we only just beat them. So I knew they had a good list, but they come six. Anyway, they were running out against Palmerston, and if you remember, the Essendon drug saga broke. And was it Andrew Lovett was playing for Palmerston? No, uh, so, so I was the fitness coach at the time. Yeah. It it was um, Leroy Jetta, and I actually picked him Sorry, up from Leroy the airport Jetta. an yeah. hour before the game. And he anyway, said, as soon as he got in my car, he said, "I don't think I can play." Anyway, I'll let you tell the rest uh, of the story. So I'm sitting there, and I didn't want Wanderers. I, I knew Wanderers were probably the they. I knew Wanderers could beat us. I'm not. Oh, they had a very good list. Watch that game of footy, and I'm barracking for Palmerston because I knew, I thought we could beat Palmerston. They're about to run out. Leroy, they, they only Palmerston only lost by less than a goal. Leroy Jetta gets who was just absolutely ripping the competition to shreds, wasn't allowed to play. And I'm like, oh, no. Then they sneak in. And I knew they could get us, Wanderers could get us in the grand final. On Hodgie, unbelievable coach. Yep, I just, we've got a lot of, we always talk about our favourite books, Good to Great. And I think that's why we've got a lot of the same values because we both, that's our Bible, that book. Um, and, yeah, we're very good mates with him. Uh, you, even, I think, I, there's areas, something as a coach, I've got a lot of deficiencies and one of them is some areas I still now, get, I've got to send a few girls to Hodgie for some kicking techniques. So I'm uh, very open about my deficiencies and I like to get people that are better than me uh, to help other people. And uh, Hodgie's still helping me today with a, with a couple of the girls, uh, girls kicking techniques and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because I think in terms of like skill, I think he's one of the best out there. Uh, as a coach just to quickly go a bit more on um the palmerston wanderers thing so leroy jumped in the car and said i don't think i can play and i went what are you talking about and he said i've just got off the phone i was on the phone before i got on the plane to my manager he then had texts which he received when he got off the plane saying i'm encouraging you not to play we've found out that you're going to get a two-year ban and it's going to be backdated to your last game so if you play today it's going to be two years from today if you don't it's going to be your last game so it'll be a few weeks ahead and he said, I'm not going to play. And I thought, shit, what's Dean going to say when I get back there? And he finds out Palmerston just played for him to come up. And he's at, and like you said, he was ripping the competition to shreds. I've never seen someone be able to turn on a dime the way he could. He was winning the ball and then exploding away from a context be- contest better than any person I've ever seen in the NTFL. And yep. if he had played, I truly believe we would have won. And we would have won the premiership probably. <laughs> <laughs> One player. It's crazy. Yeah. we. Uh, I spoke about, I interviewed Aaron Motlock and we spoke about this and um, he was like, you know, we won that game. And I'm like, yeah, you only won that game because Leroy didn't play. But uh, yeah, I, I know Dean was begging him to play that day and it didn't happen. But, you know, um, Dean and I ended up the next season for two years at Wanderers and, uh, very close grand finals losses to Saints those next two we years. Very close when we St. Mary's Wanderers games were always very close. Mm. Um, all right, we certainly went off track there. Number nine, 
video analysis? Um, the best coaches, the, all the best coaches are doing. It's sort of funny. I network with a lot of the a lot of the best metro coaches in Victoria. All of them are using. So the the best coaches are using it. The ones that are the ones that are struggling. All the best clubs in Victoria are using video analysis. Every major sporting organisation in the world is using video analysis. So they're using it for a reason. Probably just leave it there. Yeah, well, I'll plug it for you again, sportsclipmaker.com. Um, I, I think we might try and buy that for school, for the school that I'm working at. That'd be awesome for one of our year 12 assignments. Uh, number 10 is a generic question which I ask everyone. It's a bit of a philosophy question, if, and it's just an insight into my crazy mind. If you could go, and this is time travel, if you could go, and you're into technology, so I'm sure you're probably interested in this. If you could go forward in time or back in time, you can come back to now. You're not stuck at that point in time. Which would you go to and why? Uh, probably the start of my playing senior footy at St. Mary's. Just good, you know, good times when you're a young bloke playing. I, I'll never, you know, you play a game of footy, you know, you, hopefully you get a kick. You know, if you played well, you're in a good mo- uh, mood. And then going into Mitchell Street with all the boys, and I just, I, I love those times. I love, my best five years of my life were coaching St. Mary's. They were also the hardest because we had so much success. I had a great, a great group. Um, and it, but just the amount of work I put in, I look back at that. But if you want to say where you've got to go, I've got to the start of my footy career. I'd love you'd love to be able to play again, wouldn't you? Yeah, and what and what's next for Rick Nolan? Uh, I'll coach to the die. I, I just love coaching. Whether like even when I finished at St Mary's, I coached under St Mary's under sixteen B grade. All these kids that couldn't get a game. Chopper was coaching the ones, and they were winning by a hundred points. All these poor kids couldn't get a game. And I coached them, and I enjoyed it as much as I coached these girls, as much as I coached anyone. I just love coaching. So I love trying to improve people. Um, talk about philosophies. My philosophy is make people better people first and better footballers second. If you've got good people, put them in the right system, then they'll become better footballers. So um, I just love coaching. I'll be coached to the day I die. I'll be coached. I just love it. Oh, sorry, I want to coach good people, not just coach anyone. I want to coach people that want to learn. I just love it. Rick, thank you so much for your time today on the Mind Your Body Show. Cheers. Thank you. What's the most overlooked part of running, but the most important? Your mechanics. My new course, Running Mechanics 101, is a nine-module course which will teach you how to run more efficiently and effectively. For free, instant access, simply head on over to jacobandre.com.